Welcome to Word Birds, where you'll hear content conversations directly from the flock. Join Christopher Willis in conversation with content experts and thought leaders as they chat about how to make the most out of your words in business. Here's your host, Chris. Hello, and welcome to Word Birds, birds of a feather conversation amongst people that care about words. Today on the show, we have Sam Chapman. Sam is the Vice President of Content and Communications at Aprimo. Today, we're going to talk about growing up in content. We're going to talk about content getting a seat at the table. And we're going to look at how being more strategic helps drive return on effort as well as return on investment. So let's sit back and get some insight from the flock. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. I think one of the things that is interesting about you is that started out as a journalist, have really grown up in content and seen yourself evolve from individual journalist to freelancer to now a vice president of content and communications. Tell me a little bit about the journey. Yeah, I mean, it's a long one. It's been fun. It's been varied. I think the interesting part is starting out as a writer. It's like, that's my trade. And being able to see how that can kind of create a taproot in my career to grow, it's been really rewarding as this has evolved into a profession. So yeah, started out with just the written word. And as I noticed newspapers shuttering their doors, going all digital, it's like, it's time to make a career change. <laughs> Did some writing for think tanks, travel publications. It spans the gamut, but found my way into B2B tech and really found the challenging nature of the subject matter to be rewarding. Much like a journalist finding out how to solve a problem, who your audience is, how to speak their language, to get the information that you need from them in order to elicit what you want out of a a story in your audience. So to be able to continuously do that and continuously make advancements in my career, it's, it's really all to this kind of coming up content that we've talked about. I think when you look around the market, depending on the company, content has become very central to the business. It is the touch point, especially over the course of the last three years, when people haven't been able to go out and interface directly with the brands that they do business with, content's become really the lead role. But do you think that content's getting the strategic positioning inside the business, the space at the table that it deserves right now? Great question. Um, I would say it's promising. There's been amazing progress, but I still think in a lot of companies, because content's so big, they don't even realize what they're sitting on or what they're producing. It's always catch as catch can. And when they look back, it's just like, okay, more, more, more. And the content arm is just seen as kind of like the deli station, take a ticket, produce it, heads down, jam, 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 grind, grind, grind. You're never able to like look up and see where it's translating to an objective, a key result. In a business outcome. So I would say it's not quite 50-50, but content and content operations in particular still need a seat at the strategy table because there's a crazy stat out there that 80% of content that gets produced goes unused by sales. That's enormous potential out of enormous waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk about that settle out, actually. The idea that because of the process of creation of content, by the time it's done, by the time it gets through the editorial process, it might not be necessary anymore because there was a timely ask, right? Like, I need this thing. Can you get me this thing? Cool. Yes. Sure. It's going to take six weeks. Well, but I needed <laughs> it. 
I don't know, four weeks ago. And that's yeah. the basis of it and the ability to to be more part of the strategy, to understand where we're going and be able to be proactive about content creation rather than constantly in reaction mode. Something happened, I need a thing. Versus you're going right. to need a thing because this is where we're going. In my organization, I've made my content organization very central. It is the basis of almost everything we do, but you still get people that think marketing, it's going to be the demand people. Like they're where the money lives, right? right. And so it takes sort of a back seat. Do you, and how do you put content in a more strategic role sitting next to demand? Well, so for one, it's the operational side of things. I would argue that when marketing ops came on the scene, it brought a whole new set of roles to hire for technology that was emerged, a whole season of M&A and consolidation of new apps. Content operations, I think, has that same kind of mass net effect. So building your foundation, right? Building your kind of content ops house, that allows you to get closer to the kind of likes of demand gen. And at least in our org, we are lockstep. Like the, if you can think of a football on its side, one side that's content, the other side demand, and it's a bi-directional arrow. Content feeds demand, demand feeds back into content. And it's got to be that kind of symbiotic relationship. If you can get to that point, the lines start to blur. People start to understand that the lines of business are inextricably connected. That goes back to what we were talking about that, okay, if 80% is getting wasted or unused, but still probably half of the organizations out there don't actually have a formalized content marketing plan. It's an editorial calendar that changes (laughs) weekly, right? So there's a lot of process that goes into it rather than it's words and pretty pictures, videos, and gee, they must be having so much fun being creatives. (laughs) It does seem fun on TV. Uh, (laughs) Madman makes this look really great. That's right. (laughs) I mean, I think the closer that you align with demand gen as well, the easier it is to show true value of content. You get out of that colors and picture selection part of the business and you're part of the engine. I, I don't know about how you pop your people, but in my content organization, they have partially, they're measured on revenue. They're measured on pipeline generation because that's what they're creating. They're generating the right. content that's going to drive demand. So how do we measure the success of content? It's in pipeline. Yeah. Shameless plug. I'm really fortunate to have found my way to Primo, which is a content operation software. So it's like I came in as a content professional into a software that helps organizations do this, right? Like helps them organize it, helps them track down to the smallest block of content that creates an experience at the glass, how that can be re-swizzled, repurposed, tied to a market segment or to personas based on first party data and mobilizing that across the content lifecycle. So that's been amazing from a just a looking retrospective on, wow, I wish I would have done this years ago back in the <laughs> startup days or whatever it was, where you're just building things on the fly. Yeah. Content and operations. And yeah. you're able to show, I mean, specifically to customers, but probably your use internally, a lot of efficiencies through that process. You're reducing the overall right. time it takes to get content out and ready for use. Right. It's knowing like what the purpose is. Again, like I said, having that strategic team ethos that everything that we produce should matter. We don't want it to be part of that 80%, right? It's having heads up and thinking kind of inside out rather than outside in. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, all of this is designed, obviously, to move the dial in some way. Everything that we create has a point, has a purpose. How do you ensure that, I mean, A, you're making your timeframes and you're getting content so that it's used, but also so that it's it's creating the impact that you expect? Well, I mean, as you know, there's other software solutions out there that are made to just be kind of dashboards for easy dashboards for Google Analytics or yeah. for content tracking that... Does it get to the root of it? Are you really reporting on anything beyond vanity metrics? So what I think is getting smart about how you, again, want to attribute content to value, how it's driving conversions, how it's like starting conversations. I think there's not been, in my experience, something out there, a solution that exists. There's a disparate set of tools that you can use to build that. But again, it's it's alignment with sales and demand gen to figure out how you want to track, how you want to clean your data flow so you can actually get meaningful results out of what content moved the needle. Yeah. In this kind of progression through the career, I've noticed, okay, vanity metrics out here, especially if you're in an agency role, like a lot of people in the content world came up from agencies or currently in one and they're servicing client after client. But what that's driven on is client satisfaction, right? And they want to see ROI leads, value added from campaign X. But they're looking at, it's so easy from an agency's perspective to put up a dashboard. Wow, this killed it. Do you really care about impressions? Let's turn the 180 and look at not the ROI because you don't get a full picture. Let's look at the ROE, like the return on effort. What went into producing that? How many hours? How many review cycles? How many different people touched it? That's actually going to get you a better picture of the success of your efforts. It's, it's not like ROI goes away, it's a component to it. But without that, you're getting a 180 degree view and missing everything in your periphery. Right, I think you have a lot more control over the return on effort than you do on the return on, on investment because you can build the efficiency, however you do it, tools, internal process, whatever. Active governance helps you to reduce that cost. It's just a thing that a lot of businesses aren't thinking about yet. And and the fact that content still lives in silos in most businesses means that there is an internal efficiency across those silos. Reusability is a thing in nature, but yet it's not a thing in business necessarily. How are you seeing the role of modular content and reusability in this idea of efficiency? I think modular content, content atomization, it's not new. It's been, I think kind of 2017, 2018, people started talking about it more meaningfully, but there is a technological element to, otherwise it does not scale because you're burning a lot of hours to manage it. But now like with advances in things like metadata systems that can help you organize it, automate, help teams learn. So if you're in multiple regions, is it a trunk? Is it a boot? Is it a jumper? Is it a sweatshirt? Right. All of these little micro efficiencies can be gained through modular content. So when you're building your strategy, it rather than like you're familiar with agile, where instead of waterfall, it's like, let's do a bunch of stuff and then we'll review it at the end. And it's like, okay, back to square one. It supports an agile methodology because you're doing a tiered approach. So thinking about it in its smallest usable module component, we call it a content block that goes into a set, which is like the next tier And then the at the glass experience, a landing page, an ad that you get served up on Instagram or whatever, that is the content experience. All of that properly archived with metadata, 
can be mobilized across different brands, different geos, target segments, and personas based on first-party data, preferably to get actual results. I think that's the power of modular content. And the personalization has been this big push. I think personalization will kind of meet out in the next few years, where it's just like, let's be the best we can be as a brand, appeal to the most people rather than a segment of one. But personal modular content can help you get to that scale without breaking your team spirit. Because that's another aspect of this is the burnout, right? (laughs) Have you seen our latest ad? No. Okay, well, it says, enjoy an alcohol-immersed shrimp this summer. Oh, I think they meant shrimp cocktail. Looks like this team needs Acrolinks, the content impact platform that avoids ambiguities in source content and improves content translation. That a huge audience of varying personas. How do I scale this operation so that I can support all of them? I mean, the right. other challenge is that with the changes in regulations in Europe with GDPR and with Apple and right. Samsung, I believe, obfuscating the IP address, personalization, provocative statement of the day, personalization might be dead. And so <laughs> how do you create a personal experience with your audiences in the way is through more more directive content designed specifically for those audiences, not for Sam. It's for people like Sam. We know a lot about you and we create that content. Again, a scalability challenge, but a necessary challenge in light of current technology challenges that we have. I just said challenge a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Modular, modular, modular. Yep. It just doesn't (laughs) sound like a word anymore. So you have a take on content, this 360 view. And I like that because I think that when we talk to customers, the challenge that we have, we talk about efficiency. And one of the things, one of the big values of my platform is that we can help you save time, energy, and money specifically on the creation of your content. We walk into these big enterprises with millions of pages of content and say, we can help you save money. And they say, cool, show me where on my budget I'm spending money on content. And unless you're outsourcing everything to agencies, okay, you got me. Content is a byproduct of what people do when they come to work. And it doesn't show up as a purchase. It's something that we just do. And so sort of stepping back and helping a business to understand that you have this asset, this pile of, of content that you've created. A, your asset's expensive. B, if you knew you had an expensive asset, would you only be maintaining like 10% of it a year? Or would you be maintaining much more of that because it's an expensive, valuable asset? And it's super interesting that from the position of your business, that's a big part of what you can assist with is making that content, A, showing the value of it and B, making it more valuable for longer. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reuse component of modular. It's the, again, where you start to see ROI is how many times can you chop this up and use it again and again? Let's take a quarter off from producing new content and just take a breath and work with what we've got. We try to do that. Like there's fat and lean periods of content blooms, right? You've got to figure out how to slow down and repurpose and reuse. And I think it's, again, it's a mindset of commoditizing content and the people that make it rather than seeing it as the the very real business driver that it is. It's a journey, right? So you talked about reactionary and, and being proactive. The When I think of what content 360 means, you start at like a level one of being reactive. You're just trying to keep up. You're taking requests, any requests that might not even have, like, it, does this actually scan to corporate strategy? 
Is it aligned with business objectives informed by data, right? And then you work on those, you get some more of a responsive state, right? You're getting steady. You've got kind of content ops in place. You've got a single source of truth somewhere. Build on that to say, I don't know, not quite 360 degrees, but you're starting to get predictive. And this is where tech comes in. There's some AI tools out there that can that not take place of humans. All your copywriters out there, you know, I'm not in the camp of we are the robots, but <laughs> <laughs> automation, intelligent workflows, things like that that can take the work out of work. Because like I said, the burnout thing is real. We've got the whole quiet quitting thing going on. Creatives, the people that manage words, that manage creative, that produce video, need that. You talked about Mad Men. You need that couch time. You need that big think time to relax, to bubble up the ideas. I forget what that book by David Lynch is on creativity, but some great stuff in there. And then finally, the full view of Content 360 is that prescriptive nature where you can start bringing all that data back from campaigns or your the tools that you are using to meet customers where they already are, all your different channels. You bring that back and you inform it back into the content lifecycle, back into the operational aspect. And you've that kind of rounds out the Content 360 journey. Yeah. I mean, when one of our customers speak at our sales kickoff back in January, which seems like a million years ago, and I guess it almost was, but unaided, I had not spoken to this person. Somebody asked the question of how does your company measure the value and success of your content? And she said, again, I did not tell her to say this, revenue. We make more money if our content is good. There's a, a huge travel consolidation site and revenue. Okay, fantastic. We need to drill into that because I want to understand how you get to that. Because I, I mean, everything that we're doing is about trying to drive to conversion of some sort. I mean, that's the purpose of all of this, but how does your company look at that? And the pathway of being able to, they have a piece of content that they've built, call it a web page. They're spending money to create all kinds of content to support that page, whether it's it's ads or billboards or whatever they're building to push out into the world. They're also spending a truckload of money on the promotion of that. So Google ads, retargeting, everything that comes along with that radio ads to drive people to this one web page. They're also doing SEO so that they're getting 35 million impressions a month and 500,000 clicks on that a month. So they're spending tangible money on this to get these people to this one page. Here's the interesting thing. When we ran analysis on the page, it had 350 issues on it that could confuse or drive somebody away from the page. You're spending an awful lot of money to have potential conversion blockers on your page. Just this one page. So if we can remove those so that more people convert on that page, again, you are closer to and directly at revenue. And if we can now do that at scale across the entire site, what does that do to a business? And it does two things. I mean, one, it helps this content organization prove the value of what they're doing. But two, it shows the global value of content to a huge enterprise. Like this is the business that you're in. And if every page converts even 1% better than it is today, you're a different company with a different valuation. Absolutely. Based on the creation, the better creation of your content. And how do you even start to have that conversation with a CEO of a Fortune 1000 company? Like we have this content solution and we can change the complexion of your business. That's a hard one to have, but it's very real. And I think we're headed to a point I wonder, this is a question couched in a statement, I wonder if you're starting to see what we're starting to see, which is content moving 
above content leadership, moving above those silos, getting above technical documentation and support content and educational content and marketing content to have a, a real seat at the top table at a C level owning the overall customer experience of content because it's rare, but it's starting to happen. Are you seeing that at all? I'm seeing it in just observations of leadership roles that have come, again, come up through content. That Salesforce, other major players where the content marketing function has evolved into this leadership role of this can't happen. And these roles as a leadership on content are important to explain the change management nature of this, right? Because you've got to convince someone that effectively make a paradigm shift to think completely differently about what content is. So I go back to Thomas Kuhn, who was philosopher of science, where it was like, all breakthroughs are break widths on old way of thinking. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times, even with things like modular content or content operations, first, they hear big investment to do this. Because they're thinking of, okay, I'm spending more money to produce more content. What is this? And then the second is, how are we going to do this at a battleship-sized organization? Right. How do we turn the battleship? So change management, being able to speak to that, to explain with real numbers, but also how this upstream can affect the downstream. These roles are critical to that because no one knows it better. Absolutely. I mean, that's where the entire thing is coming from. We've covered a lot of ground from sort of the beginning of the creation of a content person to the measurement of the value of content globally to the content rising to the sea level. If somebody wants to continue this conversation with you or learn more about Aprimo, how would they find you? Just pop in Aprimo, LinkedIn, myself. That's probably the best way. Happy to talk to continue the conversation there. It's a passion. It's like, like I said, entirely fortunate to have, have come up this way and to see it evolved alongside of my career tra trajectory. Awesome. Sam, thanks for being on the show. This has been great. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to join us next time for more insights from people who love words. This podcast was brought to you by Acrolinks. Continue honing your enterprise content by checking out other episodes at acrolinks.com slash wordbirds. If you have questions or comments, feel free to get in touch with Chris and his team by sending a message to word.birds at acrolinks.com. That's all for now. See you next time.